But one sure way to kill erotic chemistry is to manage your spouse as though they're an employee or to parent your spouse as though they're a child. That just is a passion killer. And that also is confronting because here she is, the skills that have delivered so much, all the things she's dreamed of professionally or on the way to that happening is exactly the thing that erodes the personal success that she yearns for too. Welcome to Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators with Jordan Donnell. This is a safe place to learn about women's health and sexual wellness. I'm your host, Jordan Donnell, physician assistant, women's sexual health educator, and intimacy coach. So I am so excited to have you here with me today, Dr. Alexandra, also known as the Intimacy Doctor. And we are chatting in what you specialize on, which is coaching ambitious, successful couples to build beautiful, long-lasting, passionate relationships. You are also the best-selling author of Uncompromising Intimacy, and you host the Intimate Marriage Podcast. So I'm just so excited to chat about all of this because I think that A, when it comes to uncompromising intimacy, like I want to dive into that. Like, what does that even mean to you when you say uncompromising? Because that goes against, I feel like everything that we talk about in the world where relationship is compromised, you do this and, and you need to be willing to compromise. So this take is just catching me by surprise. So I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about what that means to you. Okay. Well, I'm super glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I really enjoyed our communications prior to this conversation because this is the topic that I think is, well, it's one of many, but it's really juicy and it's not really talked about in a way that is mm, meaningful, practical, or helpful. So let's dive right in in terms of compromise. So yes, I completely agree with you. I think of throughout the Western world, perhaps the whole world, by and away, far far and away, the most common relationship advice that is given is that you need to learn to compromise. If you want to have a great relationship, if you want to be happy in marriage, you have to be good at compromise. You have to get comfortable with compromise. And that is just completely wrong. If what you want is a pleasant bland companionship, then compromise will definitely deliver that to you. But if you want a long-lasting, passionate, intimate, erotically dynamic, rich, gratifying, nourishing, tender, poignant marriage, then compromise won't get you that. Uncompromising intimacy will. And I really like that you asked me to say what I mean, because uncompromising definitely needs to be defined in the way that I use it. If you think of compromise as withholding parts of who you are, your desires, your internal experience, sometimes even your challenges, how you feel, you withhold that so that your partner is comfortable, so that they don't need to feel uncomfortable you compromise, you acquiesce, you accommodate, you make it work. And if your singular priority is your partner being comfortable, then yeah, compromise is exactly what that's about. When I talk about being uncompromising, particularly in intimate relationship, I do not mean the typical definition of uncompromising where you're unwilling to bend, you expect to always get your way, my way or the highway. No, it's more that where compromise is withholding who you are so your partner is comfortable. With uncompromising intimacy, you learn to know what is alive inside you and how to share that with your partner in a way that they can hear it and feel invited to do the same. Because when you are sharing the truth of who you are, when you are not amputating parts of yourself to compromise and fit into the relationship, when you are not coming home, especially when we're talking about successful, ambitious couples, you've achieved amazing things. You know how to show up and 
interact and expand your range professionally and you walk in the door and you essentially have parts of you go dormant while you're at home, when we're talking about uncompromising intimacy, you learn how to bring all of you into the relationship, which definitely doesn't mean that you share everything, but there's nothing that you feel you can't share because it's too complicated for your partner to deal with it. Instead, you can share anything that is who you are because your relationship has room for it. And when that is the case, that's when lifelong passion can be experienced, enjoyed, and trusted. Mm, I love that. Now, when you say this, is this something that you think a existing relationship can incorporate? Or do you feel like this is something that really you need to go into a relationship having? I absolutely think it is something that an existing relationship can develop. In fact, all of my work, my independent study programs, my online courses, and also my live coaching, whether it's in a group setting or individually, it is all to serve people because it is confronting to bring all of who we are to the relationship. Like, it's not just a matter of finding a different partner and then having a different relationship. I mean, we know this, right? People, whether they're dating and have a relationship and they break up and then they find themselves in the same relationship, or it's not obviously all of the time, but a lot of the time when first marriages end in divorce, the second marriage ends up feeling kind of familiar. Even if you go from a tall, skinny guy to a short, fat guy, the dynamic feels very similar eventually most of the time, unless someone has done the work to really know what you desire, know how you feel, learn to accept and honor that and share that. And that is something that if we're talking in a heteronormative context or not, actually, but if we're talking, let's say, about women, that is something you can learn in any context. You can practice doing this when you're not in a relationship, and you can practice doing it in a new relationship, and you absolutely can practice doing it in a relationship of five years, 20 years, 30 years, with patterns that have left you both feeling relatively stale, this is the way to rehydrate it. And it starts actually with curiosity. Yes. And that is something in any context. In fact, if you think back to the experience of being in love, it is just filled with a kind of insatiable curiosity. Where did you get that scar? And how come you got that tattoo? And what was your favorite vegetable when you were a child? And if you could have chosen a different profession, what would it have been? And what's your favorite movie? Like, we just have so many questions. And then we get into a relationship because my main focus is in long-lasting, long-term relationships. I do coach some people early in relationships who want to get it right before having something to recover from or before they even get into a relationship. But the majority of what I talk about is really for couples who are in what I call conflict-free, passion-free relationships, the relationships that are fueled by compromise and result in a loving, dehydrated relationship. So if that's your situation, then you went from that new relationship curiosity and fascination by the other person and what are they thinking about now and what does that expression mean and do they like how I'm touching them and ooh, what's possible here? And then it's a beautiful thing to feel stability, security, familiarity, and we don't want to undo how comfortable it is to be in a long-term relationship. But that does not need to come at the cost of curiosity and fascination with how you yourself and your partner continue to grow. So whatever the context one is in, to really cultivate uncompromising intimacy, the first step 
is curiosity. So in a long-term relationship, what does that look like? Well, no matter how well you know your partner, there are things you don't know because every day is a new day and people continue to evolve, even if it seems like that's not happening. It is. So if nothing else, you can ask something like, what was the highlight of your week? Or if you could have dinner with absolutely any celebrity alive or dead, who would it be and what would you ask them? In other words, if you're listening and this is speaking to you, you can start with serious questions. You can start with whimsical questions. You can start with political questions. If we were to move and we didn't live here, where would you want to live? You know, there are just so many questions that if you ask them and you listen generously to the answer, you get to know your partner in new ways and share yourself in new ways. And that is exactly the paradigm shift into uncompromising intimacy, even though what I'm talking about now is revealing things that weren't secrets, they just weren't shared. But that's the starting point. Yeah. And I think too, with all of this, with like this question asking that that's where it was. So when you're, you're asking all of these questions with your partner, you know, I think what's important to remember is that we change, you know, what, what our answers would be today is different from what they would have been 10 years ago and what they will be from 10 years from now. And so continuing that curiosity in your relationship is so important because we're not the same person. We grow within our relationship and as an individual and rediscovering who our new self is, but then also who our new partner is as time goes, I think is really important too. I completely agree with you. And most people find themselves in one of two situations. One where they restrict their own growth because it feels like the relationship doesn't have room for it. And that can be very subtle. I'm saying it as something conscious and straightforward, but this can happen in the most subtle ways. Like maybe you enjoy lots of different cuisine, but your husband and children like Italian. So you end up having Italian all the time when you go out and you just end up kind of dialing down your own desires. And that results in a kind of keeping oneself smaller to accommodate the relationship. And then the other option, which I think is honestly the more likely, or actually they, they're they not mutually exclusive, but anyway, one that's really likely when you have super successful couples or highly educated couples, then the individual will grow, will grow in the professional context, will take on risks, expand their presence, be more amazing, and not really know how to bring that home into the relationship. And so that also results in within the relationship staying smaller. And I basically have the experience that whether or not someone thinks about their life this way, almost everyone is doing this to one degree or another, unless they are being extremely intentional about how to bring who they are into the relationship and how to do that is going to evolve as well. I love that you brought up how people grow in their, in their careers. You know, I very much so relate to that. How do you bring that home to a relationship? Well, every context is going to be different. And the main thing that I think applies to everyone is to bring home the energy. So if you are an entrepreneur and you are like in the thick of it and growing your business and navigating tricky things and trying out a new marketing plan or whatever it is, you get invited to speak on an exciting stage and your partner is a nine to five employee who has the privilege, the curse, whatever it is to be done with work at five and drive home and not really think about it until he or she is back at their desk the next day, that person, if they aren't looking to have a 
kind of entrepreneurial mindset in their own career probably is not going to be extremely interested in all the details of your business. And you don't actually need to monopolize conversation by sharing everything, but the alternative to not sharing anything really is not a solution in the context of our conversation now. So the thing that I really advise for someone who's really growing in their career is to learn to bring that energy home. So if you, like, even as I'm talking now, like I'm getting a little bit taller and my lungs are filling with air more and my my arms or my hands, my gestures are bigger. It's like being bigger in my career then I don't want to come home and just be less expressed. But I can, I don't have to bring the details home. I can bring the energy home, like the way that I am talking now and like having kind of expansion energy. I can take that into how I kiss my husband when I next see him. I can take that into just saying, hey, let's go do something fun. I mean, whatever it looks like for the particular person, but not to feel like in order to come home, I need to turn the energy down and get more sedate. And so I guess the bottom line with what I'm saying is bring the juice, whether or not you bring the content. Mm. However, I guess I ought to say, if you're talking about expansion and growth in your career, that's one thing. But since I brought up entrepreneurs, sometimes there can be super hard days and the energy is a down energy. And then I'm not encouraging you to bring it home. I'm encouraging you not to dissociate from it, not to compartmentalize it to an undue extent, but instead to really bring attention to your feelings and alchemize it, find your preferred method to shift it so that when you come home, you can be calm without going numb. I think that's a huge distinction to make because especially in entrepreneurship, you have the high of highs and the low of lows. And not that you can't bring home a bad day to your partner, but you don't want to give that to them to carry. And so it's important to be able to manage yourself and your own emotions, your own everything, your own being, so that you can be the best person for your partner too. And, you know, it's good, I think, for both couples to do that, right? Like this isn't just a one-way street. I think that, you know, if your partner, if they're having a bad day, Yes, it happens, but it's not my responsibility to carry your bad day either. And so, yeah, I think that's incredibly important because one of the pitfalls for a lot of entrepreneurs is that when things are going, when they're in the down, when things are frustrating, it seems like there are a lot of things that aren't working out. That's a time when it's easy to turn to our partner for comfort. And then when things are, expanding and going well, and we've got it going, and then we come home and we really don't talk about work, well, that creates the very common situation where the partner resents the work or the business because from the partner's perspective, all it does is create emotional pain and challenge. So if you're going to lean in for comfort, be sure to at least twice as often share the glory, share the gratification, share the joy. I do want to say something though to the matter of not asking your partner to carry it. So one thing I'll add about uncompromising intimacy is that when we are in the habit of withholding things throughout the day, whether it's what kind of food we want to eat or something about a project at work that is really consuming us on the inside, but we're not talking about it, whether it's good or bad. I mean, there's so many variations on this, but if we are in the habit of compromise in the sense of withholding what our experience is and dialing down, there is no magic switch that we can flip when we get to the bedroom because really how you do anything is how you do everything. And if we are withholding our personality, our souls, 
in day-to-day interactions, it is not so easy to get to the bedroom and open our legs and open our hearts and be fully expressed in the way that passion requires that we get out of our head and we're not trying to control our experience. We're just co-creating something magnificent. So for me and my husband, we've been married 27 years. We have four children. We have not we did not start out with this incredible, passionate relationship. In fact, we both met in medical school. And for the first 10 years of our relationship, we both, we got married, we had our first two kids and we were working 80, 90, hundred hours a week. And so we just didn't have time for any of that. And then afterwards I realized it wasn't just time we were missing, but now we have this really wonderful relationship. And so if there's a stretch where we're not having sex or things just feel like there's some kind of a weird, invisible barrier between us, the very first thing I will do when I notice that is ask myself, is there something that I haven't said? And about 80% of the time, the answer is yes. And let me be clear, Probably the majority of the time, it's something about him or about us, but it isn't always, but it's something that I'm carrying and it creates a barrier because it's where a lot of my energy and attention is and I haven't expressed that. That's totally different than asking him to carry it versus just responsibly sharing what's alive in me. But anyway, the 20% of the time, not that this happens that often, but when I'm like, is there something I haven't said? And that's not the case. Then I'll say to my husband, is there something that you haven't said that maybe you're thinking about? And once he stopped, he thought for a moment and he said, there is. And my heart sank. I was like, oh no, what is it going to be? What did I do that I didn't know? And it turned out, that it had nothing to do with me. It had something to do with one of the people that he manages at work. He's chief of his department. And there just was this whole complicated thing that had been going on for months. And he wanted to do well by his employees and his patients. And the way forward wasn't clear to him. And this was weighing on him. And I didn't do any problem solving. He didn't do it. He didn't have any brilliant solutions in that conversation either. He just shared, and my husband is someone who does not wear his heart on his sleeve. Like he wouldn't have, he probably wouldn't have said anything if I hadn't asked. But then when he did share, sure enough, other juices flowed right behind that without any logical connection. But when you open up and you're not clamping down on who you are, then all kinds of expressiveness becomes available. Are you ready to start understanding yourself better, learning and recognizing your patterns, and really develop a relationship with yourself? If this sounds like you, the Unleashing My Power, a women's empowerment and gratitude journal is for you. This journal was specifically curated for women just like you to help you take back your power and develop and go to the next level in life. My friend Danielle and I created this journal because of our own experiences and what we were looking for in a daily practice to improve our connection to self and really become connected with ourselves. This is game-changing and the feedback that we are getting from other women who have started using this journal is absolutely amazing. You can find it on Amazon or you can go to jordandanell.com slash journal and it'll take you right there. I hope you enjoy. Be sure to go snag yours right away and leave me a review. Tell us what you think about it. Slide in the DMs. I know that your life will change when you start using this journal. I love that you shared that example. Thank you. And I think that you're so right when, I think it's a lot of vulnerability. When you are vulnerable, you are able to share sides of yourself 
and share other parts of yourself and feel more connected, which is a huge part of intimacy and in being connected. And so sometimes it's scary. Sometimes you don't even realize it. But when you're able to do that, you're able to connect deeper. And a lot of times what comes with that is sexual intimacy as well. That is so true. I would take what you just said and put it on a billboard in Times Square. Couples often reach out to me as the intimacy doctor because they're either not having sex as often as they want or they're and or they're not having the kind of sex that they want. And so they reach out to me and I start coaching and I think that they expect I'm going to talk about how they touch one another and give them exercises that can only be done when they're both naked, those kinds of things. And I learned so much from one of the first couples that I ever coached where they hadn't had sex in, I think, eight or nine months. They loved one another. They'd been married for, I don't know, 20, 22 years, something like that. There was They weren't thinking of divorce. They were really devoted to one another. And once their kids were in bed, they were in different rooms until they were both asleep. And they both wanted to have sensual, intimate connection, but they hadn't in a long time. So when I started coaching them, I was really clear that they needed to rebuild rapport in order to be capable to even be qualified to have the conversation that I was sure needed to be had about what was going on. And also, unlike when you're coaching an individual woman and coaching a couple that has been married for some number of years, it's a very sacred thing for me to join their conversation or for them to allow me to participate in something which is otherwise private and personal. So I knew I needed to build rapport with them as well. So I really focused on curiosity along the lines that we've talked about, how to really listen, make it safe to say things. And after maybe three sessions, they were just, they were sitting closer to one another on the couch. There was a more playful energy. We were all, you know, they were comfortable with me and I could say things that I wouldn't have said the moment I met them. And so, but they were kind of proper conservative people. And so I said, okay, well now let's transition and talk about something else. And they both looked at me confused. And I said, well, you know what you reached out to me about. And she caught it. She was a super smart doctor. And she said, oh, we're all set with that. And she just smiled and they kissed one another. They had just begun, like re reignited. They had slid right into having sex. And I don't just mean once. It was like their sex life was back on after having been off for eight or nine months. And the only thing that we did was focus really on emotional intimacy, vulnerability, curiosity. Now, that was not the end of my work with them. I wanted, of course, to go deeper so that they had they had something for the rest of their lives. But I have seen this happen over and over again. So probably about 75% of the time, I don't end up talking about sex in any detail because once the intimacy in the emotional realm is present, then the intimacy in the sensual, erotic, sexual realm really is close behind. And in the situations where I do then talk about how they're touching one another and what it would take to experience more pleasure. Those conversations in that coaching is always tremendously enhanced when it happens in the context of a really thick, luscious, emotional intimacy. And then moments that might be awkward or confronting end up just being a little bit funny and they keep going, you know? Yeah. And I think that when you strengthen all of that, like I do the same thing with my patients or my clients yes, as well. Yes, of course. Of course. Really working on self and that initial framework before even getting to the sex, because a lot of times it has nothing to do with actual 
sex. There is something else underlying it that probably needs to be dealt with. And once that's dealt with or addressed, you're able to just kind of flow right into the sexual intimacy. And it is a roadblock, I think, that so many people experience and don't realize that the sexual intimacy, the lack of sex is an outcome of it, but it's not the actual problem. It's the result of something else. Yes, I really agree with you. And for whatever reason in our culture, it's very complicated to be in a marriage and say you're sexually challenged. There's this idea that if you have a good marriage, then the sex should be good too, or at least not be complicated. I think people expect to have less sex over time, which by the way, does not need to happen, but that is what people expect. But they, there's a kind of, it's a matter of pride for men and women that of course they know how to have good sex. So it's still easier when you're in a committed relationship with no plans to separate, continue to create your life together. It's actually less confronting to say that there are troubles with sex than to say that there is a challenge in the emotional connection. Because when there is commitment and love and a life that's been curated together and you've been through challenges and you've been through amazing moments together, to actually admit that emotionally things are complicated, that is extremely rare. It's easier to say there's a problem with the sex. And the only exception to that is when there's fighting. Then it's easier to say that we have a communication problem and we fight. That's easier to admit than that it's hard for us to have great sex. And then it's easier to admit we don't know how to have great sex than to say we don't really know how to emotionally connect when on the outside, everything looks good. Yeah, absolutely. So I would, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Do you feel like it is different for highly successful couples compared to other relationships? I definitely do. And here's why. Because for someone, whether they're highly educated or not, for someone who's very successful, they know how to problem solve. They know how to meet challenges head on and get through them and take lemons and make the most luscious lemonade. They know how to scope out the situation and make it function. Like that is part of being very successful. But those same exact tools which can be relied on in a professional setting, in patient care, in administration, in whatever it is, doctor, dentist, lawyer, executive, entrepreneur, or anything comparable. It's incredibly confronting when it comes to your intimate relationship to find that you don't actually have the skill set and one can really feel like an idiot because you have all these skills that work in these grand circumstances, but then one-on-one with your spouse, you don't know where to begin. And that, in addition to the challenge within the relationship, the lack of competence is so confronting for someone who is used to being competent that I think they tend to avoid it the other thing that happens, which is still a form of avoiding it, especially if it's a woman who's really successful and she's with a man, whether he's successful or not, I mean, he can be or not, but if she's used to really being ambitious, successful, competent professionally, then she's typically going to take her skill set and aim to manage her husband and children, to essentially run her household the way she runs her business or her office or whatever it is. And that works to a certain degree if the goal is to establish routines and make sure the kitchen's clean at the end of the night or 
everyone gets where they need to go. And so the logistics are handled. But one sure way to kill erotic chemistry is to manage your spouse as though they're an employee or to parent your spouse as though they're a child. That just is a passion killer. And that also is confronting because here she is, the skills that have delivered so much, all the things she's dreamed of professionally or on the way to that happening is exactly the thing that erodes the personal success that she yearns for too. So the typical way that most women deal with this is to put more attention into work and kind of dial down the role or the importance of the marriage, which ends up being a kind of feedback loop that just recreates more of the same. I feel like you have been in all of my relationships with me and that like you, you know, and you know, as a highly successful woman, woman, I experienced this and yes, I focus on work. If things aren't going well, guess what? I turn to work. If, if relationships are, are failing, usually I have a really successful business that pops up out of that or some growth or expansion from that. And I'm curious, do you feel like highly successful women need to or have to soften into their more feminine side in order to have a successful relationship? Because I think it's so hard. You know, you go to work and you are type A, you are very much so in your masculine most of the time. How do you turn that off? I really love this question, and I also really love that you've asked it this far into the conversation because my answer is nuanced, and it's easy to misunderstand the truth here. So I think many, many people teach that a woman needs to soften and be in her feminine and let go of the masculine traits in order to have erotic chemistry in a heteronormative relationship. I don't believe that at all, but I need to explain it. Because uncompromising intimacy trumps everything as far as I'm concerned. So if becoming soft in the feminine way, more receptive, more willing to be led by a man if that is not who you really are, that is just behavior modification and fundamentally a form of compromise. So there are women who naturally are softer and more feminine who push themselves to be more masculine in order to succeed in the workplace. And for such a woman, being her native softer pink floral pastel self is gorgeous and a kind of relief. And yes, if you're such a woman listening to this, please take this as a permission slip or an invitation, encouragement to make dinner and have floral curtains in your bedroom if that's what would delight you. But the fact is that a great number of kick-ass type A successful women who express a kind of masculine trait as we're talking about it now, meaning they're goal-oriented, they're disciplined, they follow through, they think clearly, they make things happen. If that actually feels like a native channel for you, then I would never advise you to pretend to be a Disney princess in order to have a great relationship because while that might work to have a fun time for one night, that is not sustainable because you're essentially divorcing from yourself in order to have that relationship. So one of my favorite testimonials that I love to hear, and I say one of my favorite testimonials because I hear this routinely as particularly there's one on my website right now from a super high achieving attorney who was actually quite concerned 
when we started coaching because she didn't want to have to become somebody other than she is in order to have a great marriage. And so I love her testimonial, which says that actually I have become more of who I am and I have a wonderful relationship with my husband. So I have more to say, but let me stop there because this is actually an intricate topic. It really is. And I really love that you shared all of that because I think that, yeah, that's what I hear in society. Soften up. You know, you're too rough around the edges. And I love that you are really saying that it allows you to step into who you truly are and don't compromise who you are in relationship or for relationship. And I think that right now, so much of what's being promoted on social media is to be somebody different. Yes, absolutely. And I'm going to add to this something else, because another thing that people typically get very excited about is the five love languages, right? Of where you can take a quiz or self-identify if your love language is, let's see if I get them all, quality time, acts of service, words of affirmation, gifts, or physical touch. And so the idea is that each person has their channel and that is how they like to give and receive love. And in order to have a really great relationship, you want to learn to give love with the love language your partner has. So if there's a couple that is in a really disconnected, challenging phase of their relationship, then I do think that the five love languages are a wonderful way to have some self-awareness and reconnect. But if you have a good relationship and you want it to be extraordinary with lifelong passion and intimacy, then I think the love languages are just a starting point because ideally we want to each expand our human capacity to both express love and receive love in all of those different love languages. I want to expand my humanity so that regardless of my preference, I can feel fully loved when someone expresses love in one way or another. So I'm starting there and now bringing it back to masculine, feminine, polarity, and those dynamics to say that if you are a high-achieving woman and you run the kind of so-called masculine energy that I was describing earlier, the goal is not to dial that down, disconnect from it, leave it you know, with your work wardrobe and have your home wardrobe be a much more feminine, softer presence. But I do think that it's worthwhile for any woman and man, but it's a different conversation with men. So any woman to expand her range. So it's not about being less masculine at home. It's about seeing what are the additional qualities that you can feel like you as you open to. So maybe you don't get softer but you're willing to take input from your partner without having to criticize or assess it, even if it's not the first thought you have. Or another thing, actually, let me give a more concrete example. So what I find with really high-achieving women, once I'm coaching them, is that she will have the courage to say something vulnerable, but she says it as though she's just talking about which gardener she's going to hire. So like an example would be, oh, here's one, a couple that I was coaching last month during a coaching session, she said to him, are you satisfied with our sex life? And he started to answer, you know, well, this and this, and I just said, hang on. If you didn't speak English, she would you would think that she just asked what color car you want to get or where you want to go for dinner. But you do speak English. And she just made 
an extremely vulnerable communication without any of the trappings of feminine vulnerability, without it being packaged in a soft feminine manner. So I, again, with heteronormative couples, I teach men to listen and not just go with the energy of that communication, but if nothing else to say, was that hard to ask? Or was that a vulnerable question for you? And for the woman, kick-ass, competent, and willing to be responsible for her own experiences, I will teach her to say, I know it didn't sound like it, but that was actually something very vulnerable for me to say. Or upfront and proactive, I have something vulnerable to say. You might not think it is, but it really is. I'm wondering how it was for you when we made love last night. Or it doesn't, obviously, vulnerable questions are not always about sex. Those are just the examples that I gave. But that is an example of someone not softening, but expanding their range to include vulnerability and an openness to very tender connection while still wearing a leather jacket, if you know what I mean. Yes. And it's so funny that you say this because I literally just asked a question the other day in the very same context of, it was a very vulnerable question, but it wasn't asked in a vulnerable way. It was a very direct cut to the chase, like no fluff, very masculine presentation. So, mm, mm, but you can set it up to be a win because this is actually something that I learned through personal experience because when I realized that my relationship needed my vulnerability, like it, it was a fuel that I was missing, I would say things similar to like sending the canary into the coal mine. I'd like send up a little puffball of vulnerability to see how my husband would react. He wouldn't even notice it, and I would conclude he didn't care and it wasn't safe to make vulnerable communications. But then I realized, actually, he cares tremendously. He just had no way to know that that was a canary, that that was a puffball test. And it just was much simpler when I would essentially give him verbal cues or a hand signal. And as soon as I told him, then he could meet me in the way that I wanted to be met without my needing to slow down and be breathy or have a drink before saying it or be in lingerie, like none of that. I could just, you know, say whatever the vulnerable thing is. And as long as I've conveyed it's vulnerable, I can have a manner that has boardroom energy, no problem. So this is why I say, I don't think you need to soften, but you need to expand your range and be more self-aware so you can set up a win-win. Because the other piece, and this is super important, is that when you're in a relationship, your partner fell in love with who you are. So anytime you feel like you need to become somebody different in order to have a successful relationship with them, that may work for a little while, but that's not the person that they fell in love with. The person they fell in love with has the kick-ass energy. So just add different seasonings. Don't change the dish. Yes. I love this, this whole takeaway here. And I think that that's such a good concept to understand. And so I appreciate you sharing that. So I'm curious where, mm-hmm. I don't even want to wrap it up, unfortunately, but I have another <laughs> call. So I'm like, fuck, I got to wrap it up. But um, <laughs> I think we could talk forever about this. And there is such a wealth of information that we could dig into here. And I think that Remembering to not water ourselves down for anybody is so important and that you can take that same power, you can amplify that in your relationships and really use it to your advantage 
despite what society is out here saying, despite what some other people may believe, like this is an advantage and you can use it to your advantage. Right. I'm going to agree completely with what you're saying and just say, be calibrated to yourself because that is sexy. Yes. Thank you so much for chatting with me and exploring this uncompromising intimacy concept. And where can the listeners find you at? Thank you. My website is alexandrastockwell.com. And when you go there, you can download the first chapter of my book called Uncompromising Intimacy. It's more of these concepts. You can find links to all of my social media, follow me, say hello if you want. I welcome you in the DMs and also find my podcast, The Intimate Marriage Podcast and any of my programs. But all of that starts at alexandrastockwell.com. Yes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. And I look forward to, I look forward to talking with you more and diving even deeper into all of this. Thank you, Jordan. I've loved our conversation so much. This podcast is sponsored by Intimacy Coaching by Jordan Donnell. Have you ever desired more from your sex life or feel like you're having good sex, but curious about how to make it even better? Are you desiring a deeper, intimate connection with yourself? Or maybe you are dealing with desire and arousal concerns or struggling with communicating your desires with your partner. If you're hearing this and thinking, hmm, that might be me, and you're curious to learn a bit more, let's chat. I would love to talk with you more to see if working with me is a good fit for you. To learn more about intimacy coaching with Jordan Donnell, go to coaching.jordandonnell.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for joining today and continuing to bring awareness to women's health. If you love the show, please subscribe so you never miss another episode and leave a review for others to see. If you want to see me on the daily, you can check out my bio for links to all my pages. Be sure to share this episode with your girlfriends. Thanks again and see you next episode.